Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Virtuous Podcast today. I'm so excited to have Kendra Jeffries with us. Kendra is a senior director. Director of U.S. Operations at Mission to the World. Uh, Mission to the World is a virtuous customer, but just uh, an amazing organization doing some great work across the globe. So uh, welcome to podcast, Kendra. Thanks, Gabe. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I know our listeners would love to hear a little bit about how you ended up in the nonprofit space. And I, I know you guys are located in Atlanta as well. So um, how you ended up in Atlanta and a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, so um, I would say I started getting involved with nonprofits pretty young when I was 16. I started volunteering in high school, but probably my biggest exposure came after high school. I took a gap year and uh, served with AmeriCorps um, for a year prior to college. And in that time, I spent uh, 10 months traveling around the southeastern United States working with a variety of nonprofits, actually. Um, and just really seeing that there were a number of organizations that were out there doing good things that a lot of times you don't hear about. You know, they don't exactly make the news a lot of times. So when I left AmeriCorps, I moved to Atlanta to attend Emory University, uh, which is where I did my undergrad. And from that time on, I uh, was really involved with volunteering with nonprofits in college, ended up heading up uh, our kind of volunteer arm that helped encourage the student body to kind of pledge a certain amount of time to work with nonprofits. So I did that for two years. That's great. That's uh, so. Tell us a little bit. I know you guys ended up. You ended up at MTW, and and in, uh, you're you know you're relatively young, but at the same time you're kind of a been at MTW a while. So you're currently uh, Senior Director of U.S. Operations, but I know you've had a lot of different roles there. So how have you kind of progressed once you landed? Oh, yeah. I forgot to say I started at MTW when I was 12. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, (laughs) I uh, started with MTW 14 years ago. It's been a while. And I was exposed to them also um, at the very end of my college career. I had an acquaintance who connected me with MTW, and um, I ended up serving with them to teach English in Asia. And so after I came back from a year of serving um, and teaching English in Asia, I told MTW I'd love to work for them. And it took them about a year to call me back. Um, Their headquarters are based in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. But in that time, I have done a number of roles here, uh, pretty much everything except finance. So I have served as a recruiter. I've also served as a resource for our staff who serve in Asia. Um, I've worked with our medical missions department. uh, And right now, I'm overseeing a large project that's focused on implementing an entirely new software infrastructure and our organization. Yeah, that's great. I actually love the diversity and roles that you've had across departments. Um, We see a lot that uh, 
nonprofit staff will be sort of pigeonholed as a fundraiser. They've only ever been a fundraiser and they never see what it looks like from the program side or program. People don't know what it's like on the fundraising or marketing side. And so you having to kind of jump around a little bit across the organization, I think provides a great point of view, which is, it's, it's a blessing to get to do that. Um, yeah, I was, um, I was really fortunate. I, not only have I had to raise funds myself um, before I came to MTW, I also, for, I guess it was about five years, part of my job in helping our staff in Asia was coaching them on fundraising. Yeah, that's great. And that's not a trivial task, so. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that we've seen about um, MTW, uh, but just working with you specifically, is that you push to be um, on the cutting edge of, of innovation. I don't think you're ever quite satisfied. You always want process improvement, continue and con continuing improvement. So um, kind of what's your philosophy on that? How have you been able to keep MTW on the cutting edge and to continue to move forward? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that there have been a couple of factors that have really helped our team in general move forward and, and me leading it. Um, and I would say one big thing is vision. Um, so we started some new initiatives um, organization-wide a couple of years ago. And we realized pretty quickly as it relates to at least uh, technology and even the way we do internal uh, work processes that if we were going to achieve the kind of growth that we were hoping for as an organization, like our current status would not, it would not allow us to achieve that because it just wasn't scalable. Yep. So I think it was really key for us to start at the end first to really think of like, what is the vision of where we want to be in 10 years? And then working backwards to say, okay, we're, we're not in a place where that is possible with our current infrastructure. Um, so that was helpful to start with a vision because I think a lot of times, you know, you can look piecemeal at problems and you could say, oh, that process doesn't work and we should fine tune it or tinker it. I think it's really important to look at the big picture. And uh, as I always say this to my team, they probably <laughs> laugh if they heard me saying this. I'm always saying, start at the end first. I want to know your desired future state. Where do we want to be? And then we're going to figure out how to get there. So that's that's been helpful. Um, and I think the other thing is, as for me personally with my team, I'm really big on encouraging them to look at a variety of disciplines, not just across the nonprofit sector, not just with fundraising, but across different industries and to really expose them to different viewpoints. And it just really helps us with innovation in particular to not just be consulting with people who are in the same field or who kind of think the same things that we do. Yeah. I love that. I love looking outside of the nonprofit space. I think it can be so valuable just in what you read and um, who you expose yourself to, who you use as advisors. So I, I love that. When change is hard, right? So a change in even the corporate world is hard, but it can be especially tricky at nonprofits. Um, is there anything that you do with your team to sort of um, recast that vision over and over again or keep them moving in a direction or make them okay with change or or is it more of a, you know, how much do you use a carrot and how much do you use a stick in that process of getting everybody to move? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I will agree with you. Change is very hard, <laughs> especially 
I think in the nonprofits, we have an, 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 a unique challenge to some degrees because um, I don't know about you, but a lot of the people who work at MTW are so passionate about what they do, which yep. we love, like their hearts are in it. Yep. So if you start trying to change something that they feel will threaten either like a sacred process or cow, you know, yes. um, that can be even harder. So one of the things that we did really early on, I'll just use this uh, software implementation as a, an example is uh, I have a person I work with on our team who's devoted to change management. So I think having a person, um, whether it's yourself, a leader or somebody else who is intentionally taking time to think about communication and change management is really key. So if people are able to do that, that's great. Even if it's just for two hours a week, you know, yeah. to set aside time to think about that. But one of the things that uh, me and this uh, coworker talked about in the very beginning is um, <clears throat> the importance of having a listening posture. Like how can we engage with people and listen to them first before we come in and try and convince them to do something different? So we did something we have not done with, I, I think at any point in our time in our organization is we scheduled sit down interviews with every single staff member, hmm. which took two months. <laughs> um, so it took a little bit of time because we didn't have enough people to help us, but we had set questions. We, you know, um, because, and, and our goal was we really want to hear what people think the problems are, um, what they think solutions are. And we went in intentionally thinking, we are not going to try and change people's minds in these interviews. Our whole posture is going to be to listen. And it was really interesting because, one, we found out some, some great areas that we had not considered um, that did need change that just hadn't risen to the surface until those interviews. And then also I felt like it engaged people at a heart level that we were willing to give them space to talk um, without trying to then convince them. Okay. So that's been helpful. And I do that on my team too. Um, we have a very large team of consultants and, and inside staff members who are working particularly on this project, um, which has been going on since last November. So something that's been important for us is um, in addition to listening to each other is really, we took time in the beginning to intentionally discuss team norms and we create a system to revisit them frequently. Um, so I, I don't know, Gabe, if you've had this experience of being part of a team where you write down norms and then somebody files them away somewhere and you like never revisit them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. I've, I've actually been lately at, there's this book principles by Ray Dalio and um, another book lost and founder by Rand Fishkin. They're both sort of leaders and there's big chunks about sort of what it means to set culture and what it means to create those norms but it talks a lot about you know just um, writing it on a paper and putting shelving it away is one thing but then t talking about them all the time and then when something really hard comes up it's usually something that could benefit you if you go against one of your norms if you have the guts to say no to something that would benefit you if it goes against one of your norms and so we've been doing a lot of talking and thinking about that same thing and it's they're they're hard when the rubber hits the road to get everybody to abide by them so it's good so how do you guys like what are the norms that you guys have how do you sort of enforce them and think about them 
Yeah, so um, for our particular project team, so, you know, we have some organizational norms, but for our particular project team, um, some of our, well, I would say our norms, we actually have values, like um, our, our general, we have like meeting norms, you know, like arrive on time, yep. let other people talk, don't interrupt while somebody else is talking. Yep. But the things that we um, put as, I guess I would call our values is what is the most important thing for us and how are we going to make decisions and what are we going to spend our time on? So um, for this particular project, so one was um, stakeholder engagement, um, you know, engaging with all of our stakeholders, not just with some of them. Um, customer centric, there's a temptation sometimes to, to arrange things so it's easier for the back end office, but really not that great for the customer. So we wanted to be like, how can we be customer centric? Um, and that we would have a curious and innovative posture. That's one of our norms is that our, we would practice and we've called that we would practice a curious and innovative posture and then um, focus on training that we would provide training and um, consistent communication. So each of those norms had a few sentences that further spelled out, what do we mean by this? You know, we had our catchphrases. And how we ended up, how we end up talking about them is one, I had them printed out and framed and put in our um, main meeting room that we spent a lot of time in so that people see them. Like we use a, they see them on the wall. And then they are printed at the bottom of every agenda we have for our meeting. We meet every week. Wow. And then we have also uh, spent time, like 15 minutes, 10 minutes each um, meeting, talking about one of the norms and, and evaluating, are we doing this? Are we meeting this? So it's a lot of repetition, but I realized that it has helped us make those hard decisions, like you said, especially when it comes to, um, you know, when you get tired, there are times where you're just like, uh, I want to do something that would be the easier route, but it goes against what we have said we value in our norms. Yeah. Yeah. I love that the curious and innovative culture is, is amazing. And, and that's actually a hard norm to keep because when somebody brings up in the meeting, Hey, could this be done better? But everybody in the room, it moves their cheese a little bit. It's actually, it's, it sounds like a very friendly enticing norm, but the way it actually works itself out in practice can actually be kind of hard. Like if people are too curious, <laughs> ask too many questions, it can disrupt stuff. And so, um, uh, it, it'd be fun to walk around your organization and kind of see how that norm is upheld in practice, but that one's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. And I've noticed that posture is um, harder to maintain under a lot of stress. Yeah. Cause people um, aren't as open to questions, right? Absolutely. Well, hey, one of the things is I, I know you're managing a, a big team. There's a lot of nonprofit managers that, that listen to this podcast um, and that we talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm always curious about tips and tricks to keep your team motivated, to keep your team performing at the highest level. I know a lot of what you talk about is, um, you know, sort of casting a strategic vision and producing really high quality work. That's not, you know, the typical sort of work associated with bleeding heart nonprofit type who would, you know, kind of does things halfway, but they care deeply about the cause. You want the heart and the execution both, right? And so yeah. 
Like how, when you manage a team, how do you inspire that? How do you keep their team, your team performing at their highest level? Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, so in addition to, um, the vision, keeping the vision in front, which you, we already mentioned, I think really modeling the behavior you want the team to experience. Like I always say like a modeling gratitude, um, to not take, um, to not take for granted that people are working hard. So I think really intentionally recognizing people's work, rewarding them, um, that's been really helpful and creating um, even small moments where we can create some team relationships. You know, there are times where I'll be like, okay, we're going to spend 15 minutes not talking about work or this project. I want to hear the latest movie everybody has seen, (laughs) you know, like, or actually one thing we had to people group, by um their favorite tv shows and then genres you know they had to like that was like i know sometimes people don't like icebreakers but it was great because then we could learn like who was watching you know all the hgtv shows (laughs) yes so i think having knowing that uh, that we have a relationship um and being able to help focus on the relationship even if it's literally for five or ten minutes um is helpful and doing that consistently um, and then celebrating. I think that's really big that a lot of times those of us who are working really hard in the field and we're, we know that people are dedicated and committed, we can forget to celebrate what has been done. And it doesn't take a lot of money. You know, it could be like, let's go get coffee together or let's bring in donuts or let's just, you know, eat lunch together, mm-hmm. even if you bring your lunch. So that, that's been important so that people have a sense of camaraderie and that they know like, oh, this is great. We are celebrating each other. And we're for each other. I think that's the big thing. People really sensing that they are on a team where people are for each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. And you're right. You can't get that without doing some of the hard work of culture building and actually getting to know one another because it's so much easier to have somebody's back when you truly know them. And so but that's it doesn't seem like work when you're doing it, when you're splitting up based on TV shows. But at the end <laughs> of the day, that's the thing, right? You feel like connected and you're for each other. And, um, yeah, I, I love that approach and that culture building, especially at a nonprofit is just, is so, um, hugely impactful. How do you guys handle? So that's sort of the, the, I don't know, the friendly side of culture is the wrong way to think about it, but the, the team building side of culture, how do you guys handle conflict and confrontation within your team do you have specific norms that kind of help people manage you know kind of honest transparent conversations with one another yeah um so i have a uh norm i call it candidness because sometimes when people are like can i be completely honest with you you know and then they like kind of punch you in the gut (laughs) (laughs) um but we are actually i went through a training called crucial conversations that was hugely impactful for me. And uh, it's a great book as well. I would highly recommend it to anybody, but there's a a training associated with it. Mm -hmm. And so really focusing on and trying to provide tools for people to be like, okay, if they're, we need everybody to share the information they have, you know, and sometimes it can be difficult. So how do we actually share information in a way that is candid and um, direct because gossip, talking about each other's backs, um, kind of politicking, that tears down trust and makes the team uh, more ineffective. So one thing that we helped as far as with conflict, um, because there's so many moving parts, particularly with this project, 
is having a really clear decision-making grid that was posted mm-hmm. where it was like, if you have an issue or, or a concern, here's how you go about doing this. Yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable airing it to this person, here's an alternative. So really, so it's posted actually on a board in our office. And that was one thing too. And when people have tried to go around that, you know, like I have a conflict with someone, but I, um, you know, may, gone around the decision-making grid, kind of incur- pointing people back to that. I know that sounds pretty probably cold, like a decision-making grid, but um, that's actually been really helpful for us. Yeah. And also speaking like, what does it mean to be candid and um, with each other and how that's actually helpful? It's not about people's feelings. Yeah. You know, so separating people's value as a person from, hey, I don't know if I would agree with the way you configured this piece of the software. Yep. You know, like helping people separate that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that the, we do that a lot, like writing a problem up on a whiteboard and actually standing shoulder to shoulder, sort of like it's me and you against the problem. It's not me against you. Yeah. Me and you against the problem. So to kind of objectify it like that and even having a framework. I mean, I like that decision-making matrix. It, it sort of, it, it takes the emotion and relationship out of it. Not completely. You never can completely remove it, but it's, that's a helpful tool. I like that approach. Um, well, we, we typically finish our time here with a couple of, of rapid fire questions. And so do you mind if I hit you just with a couple of kind of fun questions as we close out our time together? Yeah, go for it. All right. Awesome. Uh, books and podcasts. So I don't know if you're more of a book person or a podcast person, but do you have one of each or either one that you've been reading or listening to lately that's had a big impact on you? Um, okay. So as far as podcasts, always love This American Life. <laughs> so I always I listen to that. Yes. I, I'm more of a book person. So I'm reading a book called Practice Perfect by Doug uh, Lamov right now. That's been really inspirational. Um, and just it's, it's about how you practice anything and how, um, you know, deliberate and focused practice can provide enough kind of incremental improvements to add up to major change. Hmm. So that's been great. Uh, I'm also write, reading a biography on Vincent Van Gogh that uh, actually is kind of a, a living example of practice. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's been really great. Yeah, I, I like those. Oh, I mean, I'm a I'm a This American Life junkie, but I, I love biographies as well. I'm doing one on Roosevelt right now, and that's just reading about others is so helpful. Which Roosevelt? Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. So there's a, there's a book mornings on horseback about sort of the Roosevelt family and his early life. And so. Oh yeah. My dad gave that to me for my birthday. Really? Yeah. I love Theodore Roosevelt. My cat's named after him. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a a, a freebie game. (laughs) That's great. That's great. That's about the weirdest cat name I've ever heard or the weirdest. Well, we call him Teddy. Of course. That's great. Um, okay, so last question. You have a crazy life right now. You um, have a big job at a big nonprofit with people spread out all over the world. You know, a, a lot of days it probably feels like there's a lot at stake. And so in the midst of all that, how do you stay balanced and relatively sane? Ooh, yeah. My husband really wants to hear me answer this question. He probably, he probably wishes he were he's, he's yelling through the speaker right now. She doesn't. She doesn't. Yeah. 
I'm going to be held accountable for whatever I say. Um, so I would say in general, I have to very deliberately plan time each week to just do things that I know will feed me physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And that is like spending time with friends, my husband, exercise, watching kind of good British detective shows. Sure. Um, and I love creative projects. I've been doing a lot of painting lately. So I have gotten to the point where I literally have to schedule that kind of time in. Um, in this season of life and just realizing that it's really important because if I don't do those things, I'm not delivering my best in any area. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and you're right. You do, you have to schedule it in. It's not something that's just naturally going to happen. The natural instinct is just pop open the laptop for eight more emails. And so I love the intentionality of scheduling in that kind of rest. Well, this has been a, a joy, Kendra. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, your approach to leadership, um, some of the stuff about just uh, listening posture and your cultural norms, I think are going to be so helpful. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things. I hope a lot of nonprofits listen and they implement some of the things that you guys have done. They're great. So thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Gabe. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous, the CRM and marketing automation software helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to virtuouscrm.com.